This is SQPN, the StarQuest Production Network, leading the way. Ladies and gentlemen. What's there, Mama? 10,000 years will give you such a crick in the neck. How do you do? How do you do what? Show me the smile. If you can't play something nice, don't play nothing at all. Very nice. You can sit by me. Everything's so wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, get up. Come on, get up. Where are we going? Up to Neverland. You must kiss me. Excuse me? Please, princess. One kiss. Unless you beg for more. Hello and welcome back to another brand new episode of The Secrets of Disney. And today we are going to talk about uh, the more recent Disney movie, The Princess and the Frog. And with us to talk about this movie is, of course, uh, Deborah Shaben. How are you today? I'm great. It's a, a beautiful, cold day here in Florida. Now, Deborah, we have invited another host uh, today on the show, a special guest or a special guest star, we could even say, who um, you wanted to invite specifically for uh, for this particular movie. Can you please introduce him? Yes, I would love to introduce him. This is the Catholic foodie, Jeff Young, coming all the way from New Orleans. Welcome, Jeff. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's actually very cold down in New Orleans today, too. But that's no problem because, you know, people might be listening to this years after we recorded it. So they might be actually like, ah, oh, I can't stand this heat. <laughs> so. Yeah, exactly. It's hot here in Florida. What's she talking about? Yeah, it's like watching a Disney movie and all of a sudden you're in a different universe in a different time, <laughs> which is kind of the case with this movie, The Princess and the Frog. It takes place in a in a very exotic place for, for me as a European, uh, but a very familiar place for you, Jeff Young. But before we, um, we talk about the movie can you introduce yourself a little bit to our audience you're called the catholic foodie i assume that's not your uh your christian name <laughs> that is kind of an honorary title uh, how did you uh come about that uh, that name that's right it, my mom did not give me that name um <laughs> it came much later uh the catholic foodie um i do a podcast it's uh the catholic foodie podcast which uh, can be found at catholicfoodie.com i've been doing that for the last couple of years and basically, I love food, and I love my faith. So the Catholic foodie, it's where food meets faith. And uh, we have recipes, reviews, uh, lots of uh, thoughts on culinary culture, and the faith. And that all takes place over at catholicfoodie.com. Well, actually, you embody uh, three themes that are present in the movie that we're going to talk about today. Catholicism, because, you know, there are a lot of Catholic elements. The culture of New Orleans is very Catholic, uh, with French origins and everything. We'll, we'll get to talk about that. Um, the movie also is about food and how food can bring people together, which is something that you always insist upon in your in your shows. And uh, what was the third thing? <laughs> and you live in New Orleans, so... <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's a there's three good reasons to invite you to uh, comment on uh, on this movie. Well, as usual, we want to start with a little bit of the background of this story. How did this movie come about, Deborah? Well, everybody, um, I think as far back as you know, Walt had been doing movies. They'd been trying to adapt this to um, the big screen. And uh, it didn't really get done in Walt's time. In fact, they've been trying um, recently, as far back as um, when they were developing Beauty and the Beast, uh, to get a on-screen version of uh, the Frog Prince mm -hmm. um, onto the big screen. And even interestingly enough, Pixar was also working on their own version of this story. Oh, really? Like an animated, yeah. like a CGI uh, movie? Yeah. Huh. Um, but nobody ever got anything they were happy with. But what had happened a couple years ago is that um, Disney bought the rights to a book version, a teenage kind of drama, if you would, of um, the the Frog Princess. So Disney bought the rights to this book, and um, it was the twist on the fairy tale where the girl turns into a frog. Ah. So they were like, "Oh, okay, yeah, so yeah, that's, yeah." That's can... where they got the idea. <laughs> yeah, that's where they got the idea. So. Um, and it was just, um, I guess, a natural um, inclination to 
put it in New Orleans, which is um, the director's favorite city in the world. But it was also kind of an om- um, homage to Walt. Walt's favorite city in the United States was New Orleans. Oh, really? Thus, you know, New Orleans Square, if you go to ori- Disney. Because originally it could, it could, this story could have taken place anywhere in the world. Right. Um, and, you know, originally they thought they might put it in Chicago. For some reason, all these Disney stories get moved out of Chicago into other cities. So <laughs> Chicago's um, still waiting. They have their song, of course. <laughs> but, yeah. But uh, they, you know, Walt loved New Orleans so much that he made a whole little land of it, you know, at Disney. So um, it Is just made so? sense to make a, a version of New Orleans. Is that the part so, of uh, Disneyland or Disney World where you have the, like, the. What is it uh, next to the Mississippi boat thing? Yeah, oh, most of the time. That. Most of the time. Um, well, actually, it depends on which uh, park you're in. Like uh, the one here in uh, Florida, I guess that's not true because the riverboat is over by Frontierland and yeah. uh, Liberty Square. Mm-hmm. So, but um, in our in our um, we don't have a New Orleans Square. Wait, what am I thinking about? I'm thinking California. California <laughs> has New Orleans. Sorry, my bad. And perhaps Paris. Jeez, I don't even perhaps, know my own park. Perhaps Paris also. I don't know. <laughs> Paris? Uh, yes, they did. I believe they okay, did. Okay, cool. Very yeah. good. So uh, so the original story um, was a fairy tale. I mean, we all know the fairy tale, or at least we know that that symbolic moment of the princess kissing the frog and the frog turning into a prince. I honestly don't re- recall ever hearing the, the, the true fairy tale. Uh, do you know anything about that? Oh, yeah. Um, I, you know, the uh, it's based off a Grimm Brothers fairy tale. So, like, all Grimm Brothers fairy tale. It is taken from you know the the tradition of um, of uh, folk tales passed down from generation. This is a Germanic folk tale, mm-hmm. um, but in the original tale, it's um, not so nice plot twist going on there. Whereas uh, the the frog is so hideous that the princess um, who is so vain throws the frog against the wall and basically. That's how he turns into a prince. <laughs> really? <laughs> oh, he's smacked against the wall and then he turns into a prince? Yeah, you know, and she decides like to Better kill him than bruised? And, uh, you know, <laughs> finds out afterwards. Oops, I, ah, so the princess in that story, in the original story, is kind of a brat. It's uh, like a spoiled... Yeah. So a, a bit like Charlotte, perhaps. Yeah, just a little bit. You know, and, and we'll talk about that later because I'd really like to talk about uh, Charlotte uh, mm-hmm. and her character because I was very happy with what they did with, her, with nice. Charlotte. So, um, and then in other versions of the tale throughout the years, it's been, you know, redone several times. Um, some versions have the frog beheaded or burnt or whatnot. Wow. So <laughs> it's not necessarily the happily ever after that we tell our children. But the, fr- the frog, the, the, idea, the original idea was always that it was a prince that was turned mm-hmm. into a frog by some mishap or right. who knows why and, and how. Uh, and then, of course, the spell has to be broken. It, the story, the way that we've seen it in this movie, uh, of course, has uh, uh, has a lot of how do you say that? Like literary, fr- um, it's 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 very kind of a free interpretation of the original plot, and it also uses a lot of elements from that we are familiar with from other fairy tales. So it's, it stays true to the genre, but uh, the movie itself is kind of a complete rewrite or reimagination, we would say nowadays, of the original plot. Um, and of course, as you already mentioned, it takes place in New Orleans and uh, not in this current day and age, but in the, in the 20s, I think. The 1920s. That's kind of uh, what I gathered from the type of cars that is driving around. Now, of course, uh, uh, Jeff, uh, Catholic foodie, you being from New Orleans, the first question I have to ask you is, is the New Orleans that we see, is that anything like the New Orleans that still exists and that you live in? Oh, I think so, definitely. Uh, Matter of fact, you can see uh, St. Louis uh, Cathedral there in the... um, Ah, that's on the square. That's where that's yeah. where they get married, actually, in the end, right? Right, right. Jackson cool. Square. I mean, the buildings, the 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 kind of layout, the the I guess you can say like the skyline in a, in a way. I mean, it, of course, it's not a skyline like we have today. Mm-hmm. But the way the buildings are, the look of the buildings themselves in the movie look very much like what we see down here. And of course, we have all these old buildings uh, that are still standing yeah. today. 
Oh, really? So that's all yeah. kind of protected now? and Because it's very colorful. I was blown away. I was like, wow, if New Orleans is anything like that, then I understand that it's a favorite uh, tourist place for people to go because it's it's so different from other cities in the United States. It's very different. Uh, the French Quarter, very authentic. It, it feels like you're walking uh, back in time when you go down to Jackson oh, really? Square into the French Quarter. So do you think that the, the Disney also stayed faithful to certain locations? Well, you already mentioned the cathedral is in there. Are there other places that you recognized? Um, I, there's, I can't say that there were definite places that I recognized. Uh, one thing I thought of, um, it seemed to me in the movie, you have these two locations. You've got the swamp mm-hmm. and you've got the, the city. Yeah. And although, I mean, there's there's some distance between the two in, in actuality, but... Of course, you don't really get that feel. I think in the in the movie, mm-hmm. you know, almost like you just move from one scene to the next, and it's the city and then the swamp. You know, yeah. Although you never see the camera kind of pan out and show you exactly how the swamp or where the swamp is in relationship to the in relation to the to the city, but uh, exactly. yeah, I, I don't think they want to have like a like a barren wasteland in between the two, where you know the main <laughs> right. characters have to travel for three hours before they arrive at the city. <laughs> So, but there is still a swamp uh, near where you live. Oh yeah, this Louisiana, the South Louisiana is just—we're all—it's water everywhere. Wow. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of uh, swamp area, bayou area, we call it. Yeah, yeah, the bayou is is uh, of course that that's kind of where the the frog part of the story takes place, or most of it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so you also see a lot of kind of French influence and even some French language in the in the movie. Uh, this is part of the history of that area, right? Is it's It's been a French colony in the past. Can you tell us a little bit about the background of that? Sure. Uh, you know, Louisiana, of course, the, the, the name itself, right? Louisiana. I mean, we're, it, it's got a lot of French influence and also Spanish. And it changed hands a, a number of times, this, this whole area. Um, I think there are 13, if I'm not mistaken, 13 different flags that have flown over the state of Louisiana. Um, and it changed hands quite a bit. But a lot of French and Spanish influence, the French Quarter, uh, the architecture, all these old buildings, you can definitely see it still around. Uh, same thing with the language. A lot of the uh, names of streets, for instance, uh, names of buildings, uh, expressions that we use from day to day, is just carryover from, from uh, you know, an earlier time. And what, what attracted the French to this area? What was the, the, the economy based upon? Well, really, this whole area, the, the reason it's so uh, important, and if you can think back to the Louisiana Purchase, um, the reason that it was so important was the Mississippi River. I mean, it's the, the mouth of the Mississippi, ah. and of course, that's going to control your, um, your import-export. So it was also it was very important for trade, for, uh, for, for the boats and, uh, and all that. That's right. And that's and probably still, why, why it thrived. Um, that's and so that's still, yeah, that's still the case. The river is still there. And uh, although I, I, I guess that nowadays also uh, the tourism has to be very important to the city because, you know, New Orleans is very famous for well, the things that we see in the movie, the music, the food, the, 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 the atmosphere, the kind of it's so different from the rest of the, of the country that it's, it must be a great place to just hang out and spend your vacation. Well, the tourism is is probably the biggest industry, I think, uh, right now in this area. I mean, New Orleans in particular. Um, of course, you've got Mardi Gras, which is a huge party every year. Oh, and yeah. I can't – I don't it's, know the specifics of how many people come, but it's it's an incredible amount of people from all over the world who come every year for Mardi Gras. Yeah, Mardi Gras. We'll, we'll get to talk about that a little bit later, but that's also uh, important in the movie because, you know, part of the events take place on, on Mardi Gras. That's the right. last day of the of these frogs, and you know, are they going to make it until the end of Mardi Gras? Uh, which, of course, is based upon this Catholic tradition. It's the kind of the, the the day before the start of Lent, and so it's a day where you eat and where you party, <laughs> and uh, and where you walk around as a frog, hoping that you you'll become human at the end of the day. Um, there is also, and this is also important to the story. Um, there's a strong African presence, and this is related to slavery. Um, and so the whole Creole culture in and around New Orleans is uh, has also determined the, the particular 
you know, style of the city and, and perhaps even the music. Can you, can you tell us a bit about that? Uh, sure. You know, it, when you think about uh, Louisiana, uh, two, especially cuisine, two things come to mind. That's Cajun and Creole. Cajun really is more to the west, southwest, and those were the folks who came from Nova Scotia, migrated down here and ended up in the bayous in the southwest Louisiana. Interesting. And then you have the Creoles. The Creoles, and, and the, 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 the cuisines are similar, mm-hmm. but there are some definite distinctions. And the, the Creoles are more in the New Orleans area, and it, Creole is really a mix. It's a mix. It's got that French influence, the Spanish, and, of course, the African influence. Um, and that, that came from the slaves. Yes. And, and so that, the, that, that mixture is really what makes that Creole culture. And there was a heavy African element to that. Yes. Also, religious uh, African elements, the, the whole voodoo thing. And that's going to be a big part of our show today is talk about the backgrounds of that whole uh, voodoo culture that we see in, uh, in this particular movie. Um, that, of course has most of its roots in um, in Africa and you know in the in the culture that the African slaves brought with them but at the same time especially the New Orleans version of, of voodoo which is kind of different from uh, the Haitian uh, what was it hoodoo and there's some some of uh, variants Haitian Haitian voodoo is different than New Orleans voodoo yeah. and because I get a lot more of the Haitian voodoo here in Florida right well yeah. and, and and what makes the New Orleans version so interesting i think is the the way it blended kind of with catholicism and with the french culture and and these two cultures started to influence each other and kind of mix and blend and that is i think there is there are there are a lot of elements in the movie that that point to uh well those those backgrounds and it's it's fascinating in that respect i think this is one of the most interesting culturally one of the most interesting movies uh, that i've seen of Disney, even though for me as a European, at, at first it was a little bit difficult to relate to because I I've never been to New Orleans. I don't know too much about it. I don't think that it's very well known over here in in Europe, um, and I didn't know the backstory. It was only by kind of uh, diving into the history of the area and, and and reading about these cultures and the cultural blend that I started to appreciate a lot what what the movie shows. Um, before we talk about that, though, um, Deborah, let's let's move to the story itself and let's talk a bit about the characters uh, that we encounter and uh, a little bit about the background. Perhaps we can also talk about the actors, the voice actors. Uh, and um, I've done a little bit of research on the the meaning of the names as well of the of the main okay. characters because, uh, okay. as usual. Uh, some of the main characters have not been named by accident. I think they're, uh, they're, they, they, they put some thought yeah. in that. Oh, and, and then be, even before that, um, I had one particular question, and that is, this, of course, is a true traditional animated movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, hand-drawn. Hand-drawn. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what made Disney want to do this as a traditional hand-drawn movie? And what, what, what was the, the last I... one that we saw? The the last one we saw, I believe, was the Little Mermaid. Um, wow. I'm I'm blanking yeah. out here. No, it it's could either, be, yeah, Little, Little Mermaid. Mermaid or perhaps uh, Beauty, a Beauty and the Beast. In the Beast, it might have been one of those two. Yeah, or you know something to that effect. But well, and then the the the, the, the Notre Dame, uh, the Hunchback, was also animated, right? I yeah, well, that I'd have to double check, but no, actually, I think that it was done by that about that about that time. So, okay. because I know Pocahontas was not hand drawn, as far as I know. Ah, so they used um, a lot of kind of computer techniques, and then uh, yeah, and so I think why they wanted a hand drawn movie is that it had so much more. And, um, oh, by the way, when we say hand drawn, we mean like really using paint and ink and stuff, right? Like, We're not okay, uh, and, like and, a lot of the animation, this, like <laughs> of course Mulan, and 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 it looks like it's hand drawn, but it's actually drawn on the computer. That's what we mean, right? No. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Wait. I'm this getting confused actually, now. Okay. Okay. Well, yes, I'm, I'm sure there's some com- computer animated issues in there, but the cells themselves, from what I gather, is that they – okay, during the 90s, um, actually a little l- later than that probably, they, the uh, animation department said, get rid of all those animators' desks. We don't need the old-fashioned animators' desks because they're not going to be drawing anymore. They're going to be drawing on a computer. Mm-hmm. So – they sold all the desks 
But what they re- didn't realize is that um, when they were getting ready to do this movie, they needed those desks back because they were going to go ahead and, and do this all by hand. Yeah. So they could have more, I guess, um, the feeling of the movie is much different drawn by hand. I think it's softer. I think it's it's more romantic as opposed to computer animation you lose a little bit of that um, so with that i think that was what i was trying to say is that at a movie like pocahontas or mulan um they they i mean it's still people that draw but they draw they drew on computers right it, there was no ink involved that's what i was trying to say whereas this this movie was really done the, the traditional way the old the ink and paint method yeah. yes it was done the old-fashioned way right um so where did they get the people <laughs> if they fired everyone in the past. Well, they had always had the people. It's just a matter. And and to be fair, you know, the animators are all artists. So they, you know, whether they do it on computer or whether they do it on, on um, you know, they have to know how to sketch first. So I'm sure yeah. it wasn't that big of a departure from um, what they were doing. They're probably excited to do this all by hand. Yeah. Um, it's back to the, you know. It, there's a, I'm sure, a very different feeling when you're sketching with your with your hand and a pencil versus, you know, a computer mouse. I'm sure there's a a little more satisfaction with the pencil. Mm-hmm. So. And it's 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 good to see that Disney with that. I think it wasn't just a uh, kind of going back to the old fashioned way of making movies, but it was also, I think, a desire to find that, you know, that quality. That that characterized the Disney movies because we had this time of was the Michael Eisner period where, you know, it would be a little bit hit and miss. Some movies would be really awesome and others like meh. And well, actually, I, it wasn't it was before Eisner? Oh, really? Yeah. Actually, what happened in the eighties is um, the Millers were running the company and the, it, we were putting out like Herbie the Love Bugs and mm-hmm. putting out you know somewhat okay animation in the eighties, but it. You know, and the theme parks were. Eh. It wasn't until '92 when Eisner took over that we started making Beauty and the Beast. Right. Um, you know, the Aladdin, um, the Little Mermaid, those movies. Um, he oh, actually wow. did. So that happened under Eisner. Okay, I I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. So you know, the '70s and '80s were kind of like a eh, time for for Disney as a whole. But the '90s is uh, under Eisner. He really did take the company in, in um, newer directions. Yeah. So and there's but, but there's this constant drive to also I think find the specific quality of hand drawn animation. I mean, we've we've seen so many new companies like like Pixar, like DreamWorks coming with or, or bombarding the market with all the CGI stuff and and some of it is really high quality like Pixar I think uses it as an art form. It's just another way to express a story. Um but then Disney I think has also issued a lot of these CGI movies, especially before they acquired uh, Pixar. Uh, but um, I think now Disney is is really going back to its roots, and um, and and this is a very fine example of that. And then, of course, <laughs> I'm just actually contradicting uh, the 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 latest trend because with uh, Tangled or uh, Rapunzel, as it's called over here in Europe, uh, we've got a, a CGI movie again, which is still, you know, it's not it's not Pixar, it's Disney. Mm-hmm. So I guess... Um, we'll, we'll do that it's, it's uh, movie. Because I watched that movie just a few weeks ago and oh, I loved good. it. So uh, we'll cool. watch it some other... Or, yeah, we'll, Excellent. We'll that's another. That that's another movie that's kind of like <laughs> this movie, a reimagination of an original story, and they just took a few elements of the original story and then just <laughs> went, uh, yeah, we'll went nuts it, yeah. with it. Well, I, and what one thing I wanted to talk about, you know, when we're when we're talking about the characters, which we are about to do, um, I wanted to bring up a character that wasn't necessarily listed as a as what we'd think is a character, which is New Orleans itself. You know, one of the big characters, the unspoken character, is the city itself. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, before we uh, talk about you know who is who, we got to pay you know a little bit of. Um, you know, tribute to the fact that New Orleans itself is one of the big characters in this movie. Well, absolutely. And I think that they 
they did a good job in, mm-hmm. in you know just taking that whole culture and and history and 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 giving it a specific role in the story itself. Uh, I, I don't think that you could have told the same story if the the whole thing would have taken place in Rotterdam or, or Berlin <laughs> or something like that. It would have been a totally different story. So the the atmosphere, but but mostly the the culture of the city. Um, not to mention the music, which is also something that we're going to talk about, uh, and the food. I mean, it's all an integral part of the story, which is which is awesome. It's not just a pretty back backdrop. It's it, it yeah. made me think in a way of the role that Paris has in the Pixar movie Ratatouille. Ratatouille, yeah. Um, even in the way you know this, the backgrounds and the 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 the, the, the beautiful colors and everything. Uh, there were some some moments during uh, while watching this movie that I was like ah yeah this is feels like Ratatouille in the way that the city there too is it just adds so much to the overall atmosphere of the story yeah so let's go to the to, to the main characters of course the 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 biggest role is for uh, Tiana who is this uh a young waitress. Uh, well, we first get to meet her as a child, um, and we see her parents, um, and so she grows up in this kind of poor neighborhood, especially because it's contrasted with the uh, uh, Charlotte's uh, uh, area, which is a very rich area, uh, very European-looking also, where she lives in a poorer area. But, and, and I think, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, Jeff, but uh, it's a very uh, there's a strong cohesion in that, even in that poor area. There's like these, there's a, this, this, this whole African American uh, culture. There is very much. It's very social, isn't it? It is. It is, and it's. I think that that's kind of uh, something from you know days gone by. I mean, where today we're very individualistic. We tend to be, uh, but back then it was really. I mean, community, family, uh, the back porch, the front porch. That's kind of what life was about yes and i think this is even part of the well the 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 historical background of this these people used to be slaves and uh, had very hard times which actually bound them together and brought them together it's like the 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 more hardship the more people knew that they uh, they needed each other to survive and to and and that's something that you see in this movie that despite their circumstances everybody is sharing is sharing the food sharing the music and uh it's um it's something to be almost jealous of if you see that it's like wow i wish that we could live like that in in our modern societies nowadays i agree (laughs) so let's go back to tiana um she who voices tiana actually Anika Nani Rose. Ooh. And uh, I believe she is um, a singer as, I want to, you know what, I didn't do a lot of research mm-hmm. on her. I wanted to say she was also a Broadway star. Okay. But, but um, she she is also the person, the the voice that sings the songs? Yes. Oh, wow. Well, that, that, well, that was impressive because it's, it's, it's a kind of, I thought it was perhaps that they had a voice actor and then someone else singing the songs because it's a very, you, you can tell that it's a trained voice. Uh, so someone who's used to sing. So that's mm-hmm. not just an actress who just does that in addition to the voice acting. She did a very good job. And, um, well, th- there's, there's a first there with that character because in the end she is... Uh, Actually, Disney's first American African or African American princess, isn't it? That's right. Um, and th- there was actually a little bit of controversy around that because they were a little concerned um, about you know how dark should we make her skin? Really? So oh, yeah. I I remember that there was a similar discussion with uh, Aladdin, and you know mm-hmm. how <laughs> how how which which brown should we use or. Okay, so and and should we straighten her hair? You know. Oh, really? Yeah, because you know, if we want to make her a a black princess, should we make her? You know, should we make her more um, natural, or should Mm -hmm. you know what's going to work best? So Mm, that those are this is actually in certain communities a very controversial movie in a sense um, because it's a matter of you know if we're gonna if we're going to make a stereotypical princess, what stereotype should we use? 
Oh, okay. Yeah, of course. <laughs> it's I always know, that's a very the, deep. You know, no, but anim- animation is always uh, an exaggeration in the, in a way of reality, and so you have to be careful, uh, especially specifically with the, the the background and the 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 history of of that particular demographic in the United States. It's uh, yeah, that must have been those must have been tough discussions and and difficult to find a good balance in that. Although I think that they did a good job. Uh, it sounds it, it looks very. You know, natural, nothing too exaggerated. No, it's not, you know, they're, they're not really stereotypes. I thought that the, all these characters were different and and, and um, I think that the, 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 the only thing that's perhaps a little bit stereotypical is kind of the, like, there's always food, there's always music. Although, Jeff, that might actually be the case. I don't know. <laughs> but they, they kind of mono-emphasize some of these aspects of the, of the New Orleans culture. Well, I mean, well, I mean, there's some truth to that, you know. I mean, down here, I mean, food is life. <laughs> That's funny. Well, the, one of the first scenes that we see, uh, Tiana is actually helping her mom make gumbo. Now, that was my first um, uh, meeting with the, you know, kind of my first taste, literally, of the New Orleans kitchen was gumbo, and it was only. Uh, I think a year ago that that so and I wasn't even there. <laughs> I was in uh, in Atlanta and uh, in actually in, um, in in Roswell, in in Georgia, and uh, someone made gumbo. I was like, "What is this? This is awesome!" It was spicy. <laughs> there was fish in it. It was soup, and yet it was hearty. And it, like, tell me a little bit about gumbo. Is that is there just one gumbo recipe? Because in the movie they kind of imply that you know gumbo can be made in in many different ways. As long as you add Tabasco, <laughs> oh, there's there's lots of different ways, uh, lots of different types of gumbo, and everybody has their own you know version. Uh, there's a difference, I would say, even between a Cajun and Creole version. Uh-huh. Uh huh. But I mean, a lot of it's it's just once again, it's something that's thrown in the mix. So I guess originally it was something you just take what you had at, on hand, and it's pot cooking. I mean, you throw it all in the pot. Uh huh. You cook it up, and it, it it makes a big batch of whatever. And you can serve that to all of your family and friends on that front porch or back porch or, yeah. or whatever it may be. So uh, lots of different uh, recipes. I, you know, down here, though, I say the, the most popular would be a, a chicken and andouille. Andouille is a very spicy sausage, kind of a Cajun sausage. Mm-hmm. Chicken and andouille gumbo or a seafood gumbo. So those are the two, I guess, most ah. popular kinds you'll find down here. Yeah, and I had the seafood gumbo, uh, which was... Excellent. And actually, while watching the movie, I got really hungry (laughs) (laughs) several times. I actually did, too. I want some gumbo. (laughs) So, uh, Tiana, she is working very, very hard. Um, It kind of follows the example of her her dad. Um, So her work ethic is kind of through the roof. Uh, I think she's the hardest working character I've ever seen in a Disney movie even what was it Cinderella didn't work this hard yeah she worked yeah Tiana worked two jobs so yeah unbelievable I love by the way I love the way that they move from her childhood to her current day kind of where she's uh, looking outside and then you know moves to the door and then she comes in and then she's she's all grown up I thought it was a, a great way there are some really um new uh new elements is in in terms of even the 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 camera movements and stuff that they tried in terms of editing that i think we've seen in in recent in other movies recently but i was like ah i don't i don't have many specific uh examples but there were there was definitely some some innovation also in the way that the movie was cut or the, the animation was planned because, of course, you don't cut an animated movie. That's way too expensive. You can't just throw away stuff. but just plan it out as well, if it was a, a it's real It's funny movie. you mentioned that. I was going to mention this when you were talking to Jeff about the, you know, how true to New Orleans is this movie. And um, there was this huge um, issue they had with the, uh, the clock in Jackson Square where um, they were drawing the clock. And um, instead of the Roman numeral for four... I believe in Jackson Square there are four eyes. Oh. And so they they almost thought they were going to have to scrap a scene because they got the clock wrong. Oh, <laughs> and no. so they went back and said no no no, you got it right. It is four 
Roman numeral eyes. Interesting. Yeah, so it does stay true to um, in that sense. But yeah. you know, they didn't want to go back and have to reanimate a whole entire scene. Yeah, well, you, you know, could do just, that digitally. They've done that in Harry Potter. I remember there was a scene where you know there's some tombstone and it was wrong according to the fans. Actually, the fans noticed it in the trailer and then they had to go back and digitally correct it. Uh, I guess they could do that. Although that would kind of be a little bit of kind of. Uh, you want to stay really hand animated. <laughs> but uh, talking about Tiana, um, her name actually is um, is an abbreviation of, it could be two names. Uh, you've got Tashiana, uh, which is uh, kind of a Latin origin. Um, there was a, a, a an original Roman family clan name that was Tatius. So Tashiana comes from that. Um, there's also a king um, who reigned in some ancient times uh, in the Roman world um, together with the legendary Romulus. He was also called uh, Tassius. Um, and there's also a 3rd century saint uh, that was called Tassiana. So Tiana could be an abbreviation from that. Or, and then this is perhaps much more likely, it's just an abbreviation of Christiana which basically means Christian. And, you know, with the uh, very Catholic background of that area, I think that's, that's probably more likely that Tiana is just a, an abbreviation of, uh, of Christiana. And, and this name is actually a lot more common than you think because I actually do have a couple students. Oh, that yeah. I've, yeah. Yeah, this, just this year they're, they're like, yeah, I'm Tiana, like as in Princess Tiana. These so, names go yeah. in waves, you know, and there are yeah. actually sites that give you a whole uh, graph of the popularity of a name. And so even a name yeah. like Naveen and, and believe it or not, Odie, <laughs> they have graphs with that. How many children in the United States are called Odie? I thought Odie was the the dog's name of the the dog in Garfield. (laughs) 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 We'll we'll talk about that later. Of course, the second main character is the prince, and it is Prince Naveen uh, from the imaginary country of Maldonia. So what is is the the first kind of country that pops into your mind when you hear him speak and when you see him move? Uh, I mean, he's definitely exotic. He's got an accent, but... When I heard, okay, because I live in Central Florida, and I'm sure Jeff understands this too. When you hear him speak, you're thinking, "Oh, he's Hispanic." Mm. <laughs> he's definitely in my mind when I was, you know, and that's because the actor is actually from Brazil. Okay. Uh, Bruno Campos is from. Interesting, because I was like, I, I was like, this is yeah, a bit of Spanish, a bit. There's also a bit Eastern in there. But I was also thinking Italian, but not quite. His accent was not quite Italian, so it makes sense now. Now that you say Brazilian, that is. That is a very good. I didn't think of that, but yeah, there's this. this but anyway, he, he behaves also a bit like, well, definitely, you know, Hispanic, and, and Italian. He, and this was the big controversy too. Another big controversy in the movie is that um, some people in the black community were saying, "Why is the prince not black? <laughs> He's oh. not black. He's." Um, you know, according to what they would suggest is that he's, you know, Hispanic. So why are they, why, what's wrong with a black prince? You know, well, and that's a big controversy. But then I could ask, why is he not Chinese? Or why isn't exactly. he, why isn't the prince Dutch? Uh, <laughs> like, it's yeah. just a choice. I mean, I mean the, the whole movie is about, you know, bringing these cultures together and, and, uh, finding community. Oh well, that, that's that's a problem nowadays with stories yeah. and with big companies, and it's it gets politicized. And you know, the media also want to have a story. So uh, I don't think that many kids will care <laughs> that are yeah, enjoying this movie. Nor did <laughs> they I. Don't. They don't care. So it's the adults. Uh, so yeah, yeah. Naveen, by the way, it originally is a Sanskrit name, so it's more Indian uh, in 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 origin. And it comes from Navina, which means new or youthful, which is kind of fitting for his for his, his character because he's very youthful. Actually, he's childish and immature. <laughs> yeah. And his story arc, I think, is very interesting. He learns how to work, and he teaches uh, Tiana, Tiana how, to how, to, play. how to dance, how to play, how to enjoy. Mm-hmm. So they are perfect complements to each other, and uh, so it's a it's a it's a great match. And and yeah. I I love the the fact that they kind of learn from each other and be, because they're these opposites at first it's clear that they don't like each other I mean you know they both see each other as you are the frog no you are the frog <laughs> in a way you're, I have nothing to do with you I'm certainly not going to kiss you 
So um, I really like that that element. Then, of course, we've got the bad guy, and nice. it's a it's a great uh, nemesis or evil doer, Doctor Facilier, the Shadow Man. <laughs> now, yeah. where did they come up? How did they come up with that character? The the animator suggests that he's a love child of three Disney villains. Uh huh. One of the villains being Captain Hook. Another one, um, oh, I guess it's only two. Yeah. Cruella Deville. It's usually with chi- children, I'm, they have two parents, not three. Yeah, <laughs> well, and that's, yeah I'm sorry. I'm, I was thinking of another villain, and I was like, oh, no, no, okay. no. <laughs> Cruella Deville and Captain Hook kind of uh, mixed together. They have those long lines of Cruella Deville, like he's really tall and skinny, like Cruella. Yeah. And, um, I don't, I, you know, just uh, kind of the demeanor of Captain Hook in a sense. He also so. made me think of there's this bad guy in uh, The Incredibles. You remember that the movie in the, at the beginning? And there's yeah, this uh, French kind of clown-esque, uh, and he's uh, also uh, very dangerous. or something like that. Yeah, or, and he's kind of the same physics, like very tall, very uh, very evil. Yeah. <laughs> But in in this case, he does definitely has uh, you know French uh, French background, or at least that's what they kind of uh, make you think. Uh, his name Facilier is, of course, well, it doesn't mean anything, but but it, it's clearly derived from facile, which means exactly. it's easy, as an easy go. He he takes the the you know the easy easy road, and um, yeah, he just basically uses magic and um, the the people from the other side to to do what he wants to accomplish instead of working for it like what Tiana does so in a way he is definitely the nemesis of the work ethic that Tiana embodies in a movie because he does everything he does he does not do much himself uh, he also always lets the spirits do his evil evil work mm-hmm. so um We've got Facilier. Who else have we got? We've got, yeah, of course, Charlotte. Uh, Charlotte. We've got to talk about Charlotte. Yeah. So tell me about Charlotte. And Charlotte is the is Tiana's friend from childhood. But Charlotte's a um, we would call her a princess in the sense that she grew up in a very wealthy family in New Orleans, and um, she got everything she wanted from her her daddy. Yeah. And uh, but the the beautiful thing about this is they did not make her like. Um, selfish in my eyes mm-hmm. they didn't make her selfish to me no, they made her true. actually very yes she got everything she wanted but she was also very generous of heart in a sense yeah in that way she definitely does not match the stereotype I mean this could have easily been the same kind of relationship that you see with Cinderella and her sisters you know where the, she's jealous and, and spoiled and um, but no she definitely has heart and she's kind of naive. She's very naive, but charming she in does, a way. In a sense, she is the original princess from The Princess and the Frog because the original story from the Grimm Brothers is the um, the princess in the Grimm Brothers tale is um, playing with her golden ball next to a pond, and mm. which is a symbol symbolism for somebody who has way too much money to afford this frivolous item. Yeah. So in a way, you know, this you know Charlotte is the the real princess in the story. She's played by uh, Jennifer Cody, and yeah. she has some very very famous parents. <laughs> her oh, dad, she? her dad. Well, her dad is played by John Goodman, who you oh, know yeah. even physically <laughs> kind of resembles the character that he plays on the screen. And then, uh, oh, actually, no, her mom. No, uh, that, I, I get confused. Uh, Tiana's mom is famous because she's voiced. And I was like, I read that in the in the credits. Like what? <laughs> oh, I watched it and I'm like, hey, isn't that? No, well, yeah. I, I don't watch it, it enough. But she's she's Tiana's. voiced by Oprah Winfrey. Yeah, unbelievable. She is by Oprah and and her father is voiced by uh, Terrence Howard, another very big um, star right now. Yeah, that's pretty cool. <laughs> I, I had no idea. I was I was watching the credits. I was like, no way. Come on, come on. <laughs> so I had to go back. It's like, hmm, yeah, that sounds like Oprah. <laughs> Yeah. Very cool, but I think they did a did a great job. Um, and then, of course, you've got some more colorful characters. Uh, of course, you've got uh, the Cajun Firefly. Uh, actually, the animals, the sidekicks in this movie, I think were brilliant and very funny. Uh, the the Ray, the the Firefly, was awesome, and of course, his friend is what's his name, Louis. The, yes, the <laughs> beautiful the French name, playing. yeah, yeah, the big American <laughs> alligator uh, who is. 
like a classic. He's so lovable. <laughs> I know. Don't you love Louis? Awesome, awesome, awesome character. So funny and uh, made me think a lot of some of the animals, you know, the elephant and some of the other uh, animals that we see in, in Jungle Book. Uh, okay. Especially the, 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 the trumpet playing and then the behavior and the movement, the, the way he moves is very, very much like the stuff that we see in, in Jungle Book. That's very interesting you say that because there's also another character that made me think Jungle Book more than that, mm -hmm. which is the snake that Mama Odie has. Oh, sure. And I was thinking Ka. Yeah. I was like, oh, that's Ka from the Jungle Book. So <laughs> Yeah, but he's kind of, he's a lot friendlier. And, and we'll, yeah. we'll talk about why later on because there's a reason why this is a friendly snake. Um, but we're not going giving that away uh, yes, right right now. So um, then, of course, the Cajun Firefly. We've got um, the uh, well, of course, Prince Naveen's uh, valet, uh, Peter. Well, Lawrence, played by Peter Bartlett, Bartlett, and he is. And this was confusing uh, when I was watching the movies. Like, huh? Wait, huh? How can? Naveen, Prince Naveen be back and then later on you discover that it's actually you know, the the, the fat guy who's turned yeah. into Prince Naveen thanks to this 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 charm um, and then of course the, the enchantment doesn't really work that well because he's constantly turning back into his old self which has some very scary you know, some scary side effects like yeah. this big ear that's like boom <laughs> yeah. I thought it was pretty like oh bleh. <laughs> Yeah. It's interesting that they did use some elements of Peter Pan in this movie and the fact that this character was designed to be Mr. Smee, who is Hook's right-hand man in um, Peter Pan. And I Hook am is obviously... not surprised. Yeah. I yeah, was like, I have day, seen so. this character before. It's almost like if you watch a real movie like uh, uh, <laughs> with actors, you're just like, I know this guy. I know this guy. And then you have to go to I IMDb to, to look at it. Oh, of course, he plays so-and-so. And I almost had this with this character. It's like, he's been in another movie. And so, I, uh, yeah, I, I saw in your notes that, you know, it's kind of based upon the Peter Pan uh, <laughs> Character. And his voice is the the guy from um, I want to say he's from Enchanted. That's where you hear the voice. Oh, he hasn't changed much. His character hasn't changed much. In no, a sense. in a exactly, it's yeah. very much the same type. Yeah, interesting. How cool! And then of course we've got um, the um, a uh, host mom, of smaller characters. Well, right? and <laughs> one at least one big big character, still important character, is Mama Odie. Oh, that's right. That bl blind voodoo priestess. Mm -hmm. And she is kind of, uh, yeah, she's the fairy princess without looking like a fairy princess. <laughs> like, a like a fairy. But she's, she definitely is very important as a, as a good character because she's, you know, all dressed in white. So that should give us at least, you know. A clue that uh, white symbolizes, at least in the European, uh, Western, American, European world, white is is a symbol of, of, of good. I think in African, some African countries, actually the opposite. White is, is a symbol of, of death and danger. But uh, anyway, um, so, and she's a great character, uh, voiced by Jennifer Lewis. Now, I know that name, but I can't remember for oh, a I looked her up too and I can't I know she's done a lot of TV shows here in the United States yeah. um, but she's been around for a, a while and um, you know they uh, her her voice character is so much different from her character voice or her real voice oh, I should say she plays so, a character yeah she, so she yeah. changes her voice in fact they they say that they were debating whether or not they were going to have her sing in character or have her sing in her normal voice because they say she's a a wonderful singer so mm -hmm. it was a little more challenging but she decided to use the character voice to sing which works really well <laughs> yeah yeah you'd hope <laughs> it's another very special interesting character uh, very, uh, and, and and there's a lot of symbolism in her character as well but again we'll talk about that later on uh, then we, we've got some you know more lesser important characters we've got these these dudes that uh, show up in that boat try to catch the frogs um yeah. And then Randy Newman has a cameo. Randy Newman, of course, the guy who sings these wonderful songs a and a lot of... Yeah, he's a firefly. He's Cousin Randy. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 well, they do pay homage to a lot of um, New Orleans native sons, too, in here. Like, um, one of the cameos in here, too, is Emeril Lagasse plays um, Marlon, another alligator crocodile. 
Okay, tell me about so, him because I'm not very well. Familiar he's with he's those. a minor character. In fact, I had to watch the movie a couple times. No, to I mean, of, but yeah. Emerald Legacy is is well known because I'm. Oh. Wait, wait, chef. Jeff should tell you. Hold on, Jeff's oh. going to tell you. He's a big chef. Um, really? He he spends his time. He cuts his time in half between New Orleans and New York now. But uh, yeah, he's got several really uh, famous restaurants here in New Orleans. Ah. Ah, interesting. So he plays a crocodile? <laughs> yeah, isn't that funny? That's awesome. Well, and, and John Goodman himself, the you know Big Daddy, yeah. is from New Orleans. I so. didn't know that. How cool. And, and, and has been king of the Mardi Gras, too. <laughs> really? Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So they have a king of Mardi Gras? Well, there's, there's really, I mean, every crew, every uh, parade, every crew uh -huh. would have a, a king. But then there's, you know, every year there's Rex, which is the, 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 the culmination of the Mardi Gras season. Mm -hmm. the Rex parade, and then... That's, that's the Rex means the, king in Latin. <laughs> and uh, the, the king of, I guess, Mardi Gras for the year, really, would be the king of Rex. Ah. He has been, I don't know, I don't know, I'm assuming he's been king of Rex before, but I... I can't remember right now which crew uh, he has oh, been. Oh, so for. that explains why there's a king on the parade in the, at the end of the movie. Because I was like, um, I, I don't really get this. <laughs> there's this king on the on the one of the one of the the big cars or how do you call these these ships or float uh, uh, floats uh, floats. Uh, floats yeah it's <laughs> <laughs> like float ship float yeah <laughs> <laughs> cool and he, so he uh, by the way the the the, the uh, Eli LaBeouf, LaBeouf is is um, plays a southern sugar mill owner. What is a sugar mill? Because that's again, we've got windmills. We don't get, have sugar mills. Well, one of the big crops we have down here is uh, sugarcane, uh -huh. and we we derive a lot of different things from that uh, sugarcane. But it's all going to be processed in a in a, at a sugar mill, and ah. uh, really, it can be a smelly business. It's very stinky <laughs> the when they process it. Yeah. Um, but lots of, uh, I guess, mystique surrounding the, the process, too. Uh, there's these huge uh, uh, bowls. They're like cast iron bowls they used to use. And when I say huge, I mean it's almost like a small swimming pool. I mean these things are big. And a lot of folks now, they don't use them anymore, those old ones. But uh, they're like prized possessions. If you can get your hands on one of those and stick it in your front yard and use it as a planter, boy, you, you got some, some status around here, you know. Wow. <laughs> Brilliant. That's cool. So let's talk about uh, the music in the movie. Very important role um, and uh, very different music from what we've heard in other uh, movies. Uh, this is all kind of traditional, like regional music, isn't it? Uh, jazz. Of, yeah. Mm -hmm. And not, um, not only jazz, but Zydeco, blues, Z and... Mm -hmm. And gospel, all very regional and American. Yeah, Mama Odie is uh, that's definitely gospel, even though the choreography of the of that particular scene. Yeah. Um, and so uh, the, um, the 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 music is is another thing that that New Orleans and, and the area is famous about. Can you tell us a little bit about that, uh, Jeff? Did, is uh, this still music that is played in the streets, or how do what is the music scene over there? Oh, music is huge. Um, I mean, there's lots of live music available all over the place in New Orleans and this whole area. And, uh, I mean, you've got a jazz museum. You've got, you know, uh, blues. Uh, a lot of famous, famous uh, musicians who have come from here. I mean, you could think back to people like, you know, Louis Armstrong as an example. Uh, Fats Domino. I mean, all kind of cool. uh, uh, famous musicians that come out of New Orleans. Harry Connick Jr., is one of them, you know, more recent. Mm -hmm. uh, so the music is just very um, alive, very, very much alive. Uh, House of Blues, I don't know if you've heard of the House of Blues, um, kind of goes back to uh, the Blues Brothers, if you remember that movie way back when. Uh, but Dan, it was Dan Aykroyd and was John Belushi, I believe. But out of that, they, they started this um, uh, venue called the House of Blues, which is down in New Orleans. They've got locations in other places in the in the country. But uh, it's very much, it reminded me, the movie reminded me a lot of the House of Blues. Because you got the music, it's got, they, they serve food, a lot of food there. And they take these elements of voodoo and even Catholic saints. Mm -hmm. And the whole decor throughout the, the, the venue itself is, is, is just this big gumbo, this big mix of 
these different elements. It's really, it's neat, <laughs> but it's scary too, you know? I like it how you compare the whole cultural mix with gumbo. <laughs> <laughs> it's like food and culture and faith. It's all one big gumbo. <laughs> one big thing. That's right. And it tastes good. Awesome. Well, the, Randy Newman, of course, played a major role in the in the production or the composition of, of, of all these songs and all the music. Uh, he performed the opening number down in New Orleans um, uh, during a shareholder meeting in 2007, uh, together with the Dirty Dozen, D- Dirty Dozen Brass Band, which is a, a famous band from, from New Orleans. That's right. Um, and so uh, that's that's pretty cool. Actually, I don't, I'm not sure if they are in the... Uh, in the in the movie, uh, if they do, I assume actually they do. Um, and there's some some very cool songs. Although uh, I missed kind of the ballads that are so characteristic for other Disney movies. Uh, it's, it's great music. It's really you know like nice and 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 kind of it fits the mood of of the of mostly of the city that we see. Um, but there are, I don't remember many kind of very memorable me- melodies that you just hum along very quickly. But perhaps it's only because I've seen, I've seen a movie just once. So perhaps, uh, and then I, well, I, the, I, I agree with you there. Cause there, if I had to pick, I don't know if I'd, it wasn't, I've watched this movie four times this mm-hmm. week. And I, to be honest, it took me until today to figure out which song might have been my, you know, might be my favorite song from the movie because I just, none of them really spoke to me as much as some of the other past Disney movies. But I do like my my Belle Evangeline and I do like Down in New Orleans. So yeah, I, I personally liked Almost There. I thought it was an, a nice song. Uh, and yeah. comes back several times. I, I didn't care much for the um, the pop song that they uh, produced. You know, the, the, like they try to kind of hit the charts with a with a popularized version of one of the one of the songs in a movie and a, this time it was this R&B song and I thought it was very it, uh, risky because that, that type of music it, it gets outdated very quickly um, so I don't know Jeff what did you think about um, what was your favorite uh, with, with the music uh, well Down in New Orleans is one of them of course it's, do- it's a Dr. John song and you know we're in the mm-hmm. thick of Mardi Gras season right now and so I'm listening to all this Mardi Gras music and uh, Dr. John is just, you know, he's famous. He's famous down here with, uh, with all of his, uh, you know, down home Mardi Gras music. But I also loved um, Ray. I loved Ray. That's a real Cajun now. That's Jim Cummings <laughs> is the uh, voice there. But goodness gracious, I, I, I swear it's like my relatives. Really? <laughs> and I was like, I was watching the movies, like, who talks like that? That is so over the top, but it isn't. Oh, it, it, uh, we still got a lot of it down here. Oh, man, that's too funny. <laughs> <laughs> So the movie did did pretty well, I think. Uh, it was actually um, the release date was changed because of another family film, uh, Alvin and the Chipmunks, or at least part two of the Alvin and the Chipmunks. Um, yeah. So it was released in our before um, in the middle of December, as opposed to Christmas yeah. Day. So yeah, which was um, and they I also. Think, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Internationally, that's that's a good choice because you know, on between Christmas and New Year, nobody goes to the movies over here. <laughs> hey, I went to see this movie as opposed to Alvin and Chipmunks. I don't know about you. Good I choice. haven't even watched Alvin. So <laughs> <laughs> I've 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 seen the first, and that I thought it was more it was more entertaining than I thought it was. But yeah, definitely not on par with uh, with this Disney production. <laughs> anyway, uh, and they, there was also another movie that. If we have to talk about, you know, competition for mm-hmm. that year, um, because um, with the Oscars, obviously there's some songs that were from this movie that were nominated in, mm-hmm. in the Oscars. But there was a another big competition for this movie in the Oscars. Not that this movie wasn't nominated for Best Animated Feature, mm-hmm. but that year Pixar came up coming out with Up. Ah, and, of course. And that's what swept the Oscars yes. as opposed to Princess and the Frog. So, Well, and that, is, that was deserved. It, it, Up yeah. was epic. It was really, yeah. really, really good, um, especially the first part of the movie. The second part was a little bit more traditional. 
in terms of storytelling, but there was definitely some. Uh, but anyway, this is a Disney podcast, not yeah. a Pixar podcast. Oh, um, <laughs> so the movie did did pretty well. Uh, um, it isn't the old time box office, you know, hit that. Uh, I I don't know how it compares to other movies, but uh, but they definitely made their money back. <laughs> not to mention, of course, the release of the Blu-ray and the the DVD and everything. That usually there's a huge um, kind of a second market for these movies uh, that can last for decennia. So, um, and it's definitely it's 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 become one of the classic anime hand drawn animated movies. And uh, so, is is uh, uh, Tiana now part of the official princess lineup of Disney? Yes, she is. I was in California in October at Disneyland, and I walked into New Orleans Square, and there was. Princess Tiana How signing cool. autographs, and I was very happy. Awesome! So. And what's yeah. the kind of costume that they chose? Is it a blue dress she, or no? She has a very big green ball gown on, like a oh. like a swampy green ball gown. Oh, really? Oh, that's yes. interesting. <laughs> because we we first see her kind of princess like when she has to borrow the dress of uh, Charlotte, and it's kind of this blue um, dress. So I was like, oh, perhaps that's going to be the token color for. Uh, no, it's her wedding dress at the end of the movie. Interesting. <laughs> How cool. Green. Yeah, I don't think we have any other green princesses, at least. No, and that's <laughs> that's, that's the, the, the beauty of it is, yeah, she has her own, you know, color scheme. Kermit I, the I Frog would be you, proud. You, Sorry. No, no. <laughs> If, if you were watching, you know how we talked about Enchanted, all these little hidden stuff in there? Yeah. You had to watch really carefully, but there were some hidden gems in this movie, too. Oh, really? Especially when we're talking about the dolls that were on Charlotte's shelf. She had the princess dolls on her shelf. Ah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So there were some Disney, um, uh, you know, throwbacks in there that if you were watching carefully, you noticed them. So. Very, very cool. Excellent. Yeah. So it, it definitely, it's, it's worth uh, watching the movie several times and using mm-hmm. the pause button on your remote. Hey, isn't that, yeah, Sleeping Beauty, didn't she just toss Sleeping Beauty at, <laughs> <laughs> at the prince? So Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> well, that concludes our first uh, very uh, exhaustive uh, uh, examination of the princess and the frog. And, of course, we still have to talk about all the symbols, the symbolism, all the, the layers and the cultural layers of this movie and of the story. And that's all going to be part of the second episode about the princess and the frog. You can find this podcast, future episodes, and also previous ones in case you missed them on our website, disney.sqpn.com. See you next time. SQPN, leading the way in Catholic new media.